This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. This is Positive Parenting, and I'm Armin Brott. You're probably familiar with the age-old stereotype of the Jewish mother. She's a demanding, overbearing, monstrously narcissistic, guilt-mongering hovercraft. But even though that stereotype is a little bit entertaining and occasionally makes for a funny joke, it really isn't based in reality at all. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with an expert on Jewish mothers who's got a lot of anecdotes and historical text and scientific research that talks about how Jewish mothers actually help raise self-sufficient, ethical, and accomplished children. And she's going to talk to us about how Jewish mothers have nurtured their children's independence, have fostered discipline, encouraged a healthy distrust of authority, consciously cultivated geekiness and kindness, stressed education, and throughout it all, maintained a sense of humor. And that Jewish mother approach has proven successful in a wide variety of settings and fields over a vast span of history. But here's the best news of all. You don't have to be Jewish to cultivate the same qualities in your own children. In other words, as the old saying goes, you don't have to be Jewish to be a Jewish mother. We'll start talking about what Jewish mothers do to raise successful, creative, empathetic, independent children who are, above all, decent human beings. I'm Armin Brott. All that and a lot more when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this. From the MrDad.com radio network. Hi, I'm Ryan Seacrest for RAD. Over 300 people in this country are killed every week by a drunk driver. That's the equivalent of two 747 plane crashes every single week. And the problem isn't going away unless we all do our part to stop it. So if you see someone who's about to drive after drinking, get the keys. Don't leave it up to anyone else. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Excuse me, do you know how to get to Maine and Maple? How's that cook? How do you change the ringtone? How much does this cost? Does this bus stop at Elm Street? We ask questions everywhere in life, except... Any questions? Um, no. At the doctor's office, ask questions. What is this test for? Are there any side effects? Questions lead to better health care. Go to ahrq.gov for a list of 10 questions everyone should know. Questions are the answer. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Marjorie Engel, who is the author of Mamala Knows Best, What Jewish Mothers Do to Raise Successful, Creative, Empathetic, Independent Children. Marjorie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So where does this whole Jewish mother stereotype come from if it's not true? Um, There is an element of truth in every stereotype. And the Jewish mother stereotype is a product of a very particular time in American history. And when you look at the vast span of Jewish history all around the world, it's not really true. But if you're just looking at sort of post-war America, uh, post-Holocaust, right when Jews are really getting uh, acclimated to American society and younger Jews are moving out to the suburbs and really becoming American and their parents are super embarrassing and still have accents, <laughs> you know, you can really right. see where the, the caricature came from. 
And so do you think that, that mothers in Europe were raising their kids differently than mothers in the United States? Is that something that they brought with them from the old country? Well, I'm looking, the book looks even past the idea of the old country. We're looking at ancient Rome. We're looking at, you know, all around the old Middle East. I tried to make it not entirely sort of the Eastern European kugel eating, you know, uh, chicken soupy Jews, but also, you know, um, you know, Jews from all around the world. And so we're looking at a lot of ancient texts and we're looking at writings by Jewish women themselves and... You know, you're looking at, you know, the stereotype of sort of this Jewish mother is somebody who's incredibly clingy and demands that her kid be either a doctor or a lawyer and says, don't mind me, I'll put my head in the oven and all that stuff. And when you actually look back, Jewish mothers were trying to foster independence and trying to figure out how to make their kids really be creative. And also there's this concept of tikkun olam, which means healing the world. And there was this real mission to try to do good in the world. Um, and I would like it if Jews today could sort of look back and really get to know our past more. Um, and non-Jews can learn from this, too, about how to raise a kid who isn't selfish or a cheater. You know, because when we tell kids that all they are is their test scores, you're right, not creating right. an environment in which menschiness, goodness can grow. Well, I got to tell you that when when my first or second book came out, I was asked by some interviewer what would what would constitute success as a father in my my view, and my my answer was if I could look back and say I've raised a couple of mensches. And there you go. They, exactly. She said, "What's a mensch?" And I said, "You know, a good, a decent human being, somebody who makes makes good choices for for all the right reasons." Um, and yeah, I think that that's you know, t- if you take out the word mensch and replace it with something else with decent human being, I think that's probably every parent's goal or should be to get to right. that point. Right. We spend a lot of time now saying, oh, I just want him or to be happy. I just want her to be happy. And we forget that happiness has to come out of some authentic, you know, you have to do something to be happy. And just if you go shortcutting right to the happiness, you know, you're not doing the work that you know, in both your heart and in your kid's heart, you know, is earned. So just out of curiosity, so we've got the stereotypes of the Jewish mother. What are the stereotypes of Jewish fathers? Are there any? (laughs) Uh, There is an old Jewish joke where uh, the kid comes home from school and says, Mom, Mom, I got cast in the school play. And the the mother says, Oh, honey, that's wonderful. What part did you get? And he, goes, he says, I'm playing a Jewish father. And she goes, you go by, right back there and you tell them you want a speaking part. Yeah. So there is the joke of the sort of spineless, trodden all over by the powerful, potent, giant, terrifying of mother. The mother. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that's the whole Philip Roth stereotype. All right. So you have got 10 different ingredients to make a mensch. And the first one you touched on just a little bit about the going going further back than just the kogel-eating people from Poland and Russia. But what's the rest of, of the history that you need to know? Um, you know, you need to know that as far back as the Torah, you have um, humor as being a huge, a huge part of Jewish parenting. And look, I mean, if in general, in Jewish history, if you don't laugh, you'd cry. So you have humor as a tool for, you know, outwitting people who are more powerful and craftier than you are. You have humor today that works as a tool for winning people to your side and your way of thinking. 
and, you know, really getting people on your team. And, you know, look as far back as the Torah, you have Sarah laughing when God tells her she's going to have a son because she's so old. Well, she's 80 years and, old, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like that you know all this stuff. <laughs> so, you know, so Isaac's name literally means, you know, laughter. Um, we also talk about uh, distrusting authority, because, which is, I think, where the Jewish mother thing di- diverges from more of the tiger mom thing, is we don't trust authority, because authority has not done well for the Jews over time. In general, you know, whenever we people think that the Jews have never had power and have always been, you know, shtetl and Holocaust, but there have been periods in world history, both in um, uh, middle in the Middle Ages in Spain, even before that in Egypt, in Constantinople, and in um, the Enlightenment in Western Europe, you had times when the Jews were pretty involved in the, the regular people's middle class, upper middle class world. And every time we've had these good times, they've been followed by scary bad times. But it's important to raise a kid whose values can be consistent, whether times are good or bad. Um, so what else? Um, no, well, that's, encouraging that's, uh, No, well, I don't want to get into to that right, right this second because I want to go back to the, the uh, distrusting authority thing. But yeah. I, I think it's there's still a sense of working within the system, not being an anarchist necessarily, right? Definitely, definitely. Because the Jewishness is a really, you know, communal religion. Um, it's very much about, you know, I always joke about spirituality is an individual thing, but religion is a team sport. And, you know, raising your voice in song with other people, working towards social justice with other people, that's been a huge part of the Jewish tradition. And I think it's, especially in a world that can be really scary, it's a huge source of comfort and community. It is, yeah. And it's it's something that, that uh, a lot of people kind of break up from, I think, that there's yes. a... And it's hard because, you know, I understand that people have different attitudes about God and about going to a house of worship, and that's fine. And I think that there are ways to be connected to your tradition, whatever your tradition is, that don't necessarily involve prayer, you know, that they can involve... Right. You know, looking into your heritage and the music and the food and the storytelling and your family history, all of that are great ways to yeah. give your kid a grounding in who they are. Do you think that there's something a little bit different about Judaism in that it, that there is a bigger distinction between cultural religion and the spiritual part of it? That is such a good question. I do think that there is something a little different because, you know, Jew, we've never had— you know, just to, to, to offer Catholicism as a, a parallel, um, we don't have this central authority. We don't have a pope. Um, and we Jewish Judaism has always been super fractured. And there have always been, you know, uh, different threads of how, quote-unquote, religious people are, but still had this really strong identification with Jewishness. And, you know, look, in America, you know, you look at the history of the Jewish press here, and it was absolutely anti-religion. Um, but it was about, I mean, I keep going back to the word community, but that's really true. Um, you know, we had language in, you know, in, in Eastern culture, Eastern European culture, it was Yiddish. And then in more Western ones, it was Ladino, which is a mix of Spanish and Hebrew. 
Um, so we've always had our own language, our own foods, our own, you know, even after 1492 when the Jews were expelled from Spain, there were all these people who had traditions that they really didn't understand about lighting candles and, you know, saying a prayer over bread. But it wasn't, a so, it wasn't called Jewishness because you weren't allowed to practice it. But people right. have, you know, we cling to our traditions, which is well, kind of a nice thing. Which is interesting to me because the, the conversos or the Moranos, uh, you'd hear yes. these stories every once in a while, who, who people who had been several generations Catholic were still lighting candles or baking challah or something that they didn't quite understand that actually was a exactly. throwback to There's their previous. There's actually some yeah. lovely children's books about conversos um, that I was shocked to find while I was researching this. I love that you know this stuff. I'm not, yeah, I'm not used know. to talking to interviewers who are really informed. <laughs> I, I, how could I help it with having a, growing up with a Jewish mother? Talking to Marjorie Engel, who's the author of Mamala Knows Best, What Jewish Mothers Do to Raise Successful, Creative, Empathetic, Independent Children. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Marjorie. I'm in almost every school bus in classroom. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. You see me around the neighborhood, and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. This problem is closer than you think. My teacher tells me we can grow up to be whatever we want. I want to grow up to be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. There's enough food in this country to feed everybody. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Ever notice when you have a baby, everyone seems to give you advice? From your mother-in-law, don't you know you can't take that baby out in the rain today? And where is her hat? To your own parents. You should take the baby outside every day, even in the rain. To your friends. You have got to get this diaper cream. It is so much better than the one you've been using. When it comes to the important stuff, like immunizations and protecting my baby's health, I trust my baby's doctor. She really listens to my questions about shots, she gives me great information, and she works with me to make sure my baby gets protected. And that's something even my mother-in-law can agree with. Honey, I totally support you getting the baby vaccinated, but really, shouldn't you put the baby's hat back on? A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm Armin Brott and talking to Marjorie Engel, who's the author of Mamala Knows Best, What Jewish Mothers Do to Raise Successful, Creative, Empathetic, Independent Children. So let's talk about education. I mean, that's one of the, we mentioned this briefly in passing, that one of the stereotypes about the Jewish mother is you have to be a doctor or a lawyer. And, you know, if, if you're a plumber or something like that, even though you might be making more money, it's it's not okay. Uh, but you talk about emphasizing, but don't fetishize education. How do how do you do that without being a pain? Right. <laughs> um, well, you know, part of the genesis of this book was me thinking about the fact that Jews have been successful in so many different fields over the course of of history. It's not just being doctors and lawyers. It's being 
Academy Award-winning directors. It's being nonfiction Pulitzer Prize winners. It's being all different kinds of scientists. Um, so I think there's something <laughs> there's something in the water. There's something in the challah recipe that's making Jews, um, you know, figure out what you're interested in and then work really hard to achieve that. Um, and education, you know, since Jews often were newbies in various different cultures after they got kicked out of another country, since Jews have been kicked out of a zillion different countries, um, a lot of times school was a way into learning the language. Um, but, you know, there also have been huge barriers, uh, you know, well, quotas. quotas terms, yeah, yeah sure. exactly. Yeah. So, and, and now I think what's relevant is we look at schools now and often... I think in our heart of hearts, a lot of us know that they're not emphasizing necessarily the right thing and things that make kids with really good values, that um, the sort of obsessive interest in standardized test scores, I think, you know, every time there's a huge cheating scandal that roils fancy schools, I mean, there have been some, you know, Orthodox Jewish schools that have had them too, but also these, you know, fancy, I'm in New York City, so like, you know, the schools like Stuyvesant and Bronx Science, Every time there's a huge scandal, a huge teaching, a huge uh, cheating thing, people are always shocked. And I'm like, if you've told your kid already that they are all they are is a test score, what do you think that they're going to do? Of course well, they're yeah. going to cheat. Yeah. So um, I'm curious about this. I was asking you about the, the difference between Judaism and other religions relative to the cultural component. But I'm kind of curious about this whole education component as well, because I think any culture, any religion would say, well, of course we value education. Yes, so what is yes, it, what it, is that's different about the way that we do it, we Jews do it, as opposed to other people? I mean, certainly there's enough stereotypes out there about the tiger parents and the, the Asian cultures yes. that value education. How is it different uh, with Jews and other people? You know, people? my mom's, uh, my dad died a few years ago, and my mom, who is a professor of Jewish education, remarried a professor of not Jewish education, but his field is sort of how waves of immigration affected the New York City public schools and how the New York City public schools worked to sort of acclimatize all of these new immigrants who were coming in through New York City, where so many new immigrants came from. So I like to think about it in terms of what role the, the public schools had in teaching Jews, new Jews, how to be Americans. And it is important, but then you go home and you also get the values at home. So uh, schools have been, as I said, important in teaching language um, and important in teaching sort of what you need to be a good citizen of the country that you live in. But in terms of literacy, which is a huge, huge, huge thing that has gone back to, you know, we're called the people of the book. And I think the real love of literacy and storytelling is more likely to come from home than it is from school. You know, now kids in a lot of schools in America, we read texts, we don't read books. And, you know, everything is about, can you answer these five questions? What are you putting on your reading log? Can you find the verb? And sort of getting lost in the pleasure of a book is, I think, something that we kind of have to do at home now. And I think that, you know, if I, I, you know, as I'm thinking out loud now, one of my own little personal passions is encouraging kids to read graphic novels because it's so pleasurable and schools still often have a, a bug up their butts about it. And, you know, the whole comic book world, it was founded by Jews because it was a world that was open to Jews when there, weren't, there were a lot of careers that artists couldn't have. Oh, yeah. Um, well, if you look at all the, the, the 
founders of Superman and Batman. The, they, certainly, they were. Yes, they were. Captain yeah, America. And, right. So you know, you mentioned telling stories, and that's something I think that I mean. I remember growing up. I guess I st- still happens at any time my parents get together with uh, with anybody. <laughs> I mean, or or any, you get three Jews together. You you can't start off an answer to a question without saying, you know, there's a story about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, exactly. It's, an in, exactly. It's, a, it's a fascinating thing, and how do you instill that in your kids when they're not reading as much, or when right. they're not at least paying attention, doing doing the things that you're talking about? I mean, they're more concerned about where the verb is, which is an important thing, but to the but they're they're not learning to draw analogies between exactly. their history and whatever they're hearing right now. Um, you know, there's. Uh I'm sure you know there's this book, The Smartest Kids in the World, by Amanda Ripley, and she looks at education in wildly different countries, you know, wildly different economic environments. And across countries, one of the things that is most correlated with kids' success is whether the parents read. And that was true across, um, you know, uh, even within the same parents of the same income level, the readers versus the non-readers. And people and adults mostly don't read. And this can't be a do-as-I-say-and-not-as-I-do thing. Um, but I also think any kind of storytelling teaches you how to make connections in your head and gives, teaches you empathy, um, teaches you to follow a plot, to build character. So, you know, you can do books on tape in the car. Um, you know, you can tell stories in the car. You can tell, play two truths and a lie at dinner, which is when, you know, everybody has to say two, three things that happen to them, and two of them are true and one is a lie. And that's a great practice in storytelling. Jokes are stories, listening to the Moss podcasts. Um, and again, with, the, with comic books where it's only pleasure. Um, I think all of that is really good for kids, and it's a thing that um, I keep coming back to in terms of why Jews have been accomplished, even when the deck has been totally stacked against them in some countries. All right, let's keep talking about stereotypes, and one of them being money, which is one of the, <laughs> the less humorous stereotypes that's yes, out there. Yes, not funny at all. Yeah, and so where what do you what do you do about that? I mean, certainly you want to have money, but you know, there's this the, the other stereotype about the Jewish American princess, and you know the, the, the there's one about the father who says something like you know don't, don't ever marry a a guy who gives you a ring that's smaller than this one, or or you know, something like <laughs> yeah. that. There there is yeah. this this push about that, and what's how how do you get your kids to have a healthy respect for money, but not to the exclusion of everything else? That's a really good question, and it's, um, you know, this is relatively new in American history when we've been, you know, upper-middle-class, upper-class people. And, you know, I think that perhaps there has been a certain element of trying to keep up with the Joneses, since you can't have a pedigree if you're Jewish, you can't be a fancy wasp, you can at least have the stuff. Um, So I think we have to be really wary of... Um, you know, making kids um, prize the wrong things. I mean, I feel like I was super lucky. I grew up middle class, um, but my parents always, always, always made it clear that we valued experiences over things. So, you know, I, I did not have a lot of stuff. My, I remember, you know, I desperately wanted Izod shirts, and my mom was like, no, these are fine. And if you want to save up your money and buy an Izod shirt, you can. Um, we took really great family vacations. Um, but we didn't, you know, my parents were not about, you know, no designer labels, no fancy house or furniture. Um, both of my parents had sort of healthy jobs. Um, 
And I think that we have to, this is another one where you have to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Um, if you're materialistic, you're going to raise materialistic kids no matter what you say. And, you know, I think part of the whole tikkun olam, fixing the world ethos that we have, has to be about look at what other people don't have and what can you do to try to make their, their lives easier. Tikkun olam, which is different from the magazine, by the way. Yeah, I'm not a big Michael Lerner fan, but not, that's not a, me whole, either. a whole no. topic. And of, I can't get him off his mailing list. He just keeps putting <laughs> me back on there. But the concept of Tikkunol, which means fixing or repairing the world, is, is a good one. I think that that's something that, that probably, I, I don't know that it's any more Jewish than anything else. I think most parents would say, I, I'd like to leave the world a better place for my kids than it was for me. Not that it was such a terrible right. tragedy for me, but you know that everybody, every generation should move forward. But that also means, again, you have to do it um, exactly. and not just talk yeah. about it. Marjorie Ingalls, the author of Mamala Knows Best, What Jewish Mothers Do to Raise Successful, Creative, Empathetic, Independent Children. Marjorie, thanks very much. Thanks you. Thank you so much, Armin. It was great to be here. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday, I believe. A third of the kids in my eighth grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to casafamilyday.org. Take the Family Day Pledge and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. It's time for an Ask Mr. Dad column. Dear Mr. Dad, my son just started middle school, and the dean called to tell me that my son is bullying several of his classmates. I find this hard to believe. I've never seen him treat anyone badly, and no one else has ever told me otherwise. Plus, back in elementary school, he was constantly bullied because he was overweight, although he had a growth spurt and lost a lot of that weight over the summer. What should I do about this? Your first reaction, to assume that the dean is overreacting and dismisses accusation, is a natural one. But don't. Most cases of school bullying aren't reported, and when they are, schools often try to handle them in-house. So if the situation has gotten bad enough that the school feels the need to bring you in, you need to take the charges quite seriously. Your first step is to set up an in-person meeting with the school. Let them know that you want to work with them and ask for as many details as possible about your son's behavior and the circumstances around it. Schools should, and most do, document incidences of bullying, Read the reports carefully. Did your son do something completely unprovoked, or did the other child play a role? There are often two equally legitimate sides to any story. If this is your son's first offense, there might be a reasonable explanation. If there have been other reports, that's a much bigger problem. Once you understand the situation, you need to talk with your son. It's critical that you do this when A, he's in a good mood, B, you have a big block of distraction-free time to talk, and C, you're feeling calm and confident that you'll be able to keep all traces of anger and disappointment out of your voice. One of the best places for conversations like these is in the car, 
where you'll have less eye contact, which will reduce the likelihood that either of you will get sidetracked by the other's facial expressions. Chances are, your son will either deny that he did anything wrong or say that he didn't realize what he, that he was hurting anyone. Given that he was bullied himself, it's entirely possible that he's either trying to protect himself by hurting others before they have a chance to hurt him or retaliate against one or more of the kids who bullied him in the past. Since your son is just starting at a new school, let's hope that this is his first and only offense and that he's genuinely acting out of fear or revenge. Even if that's not the case, he needs to understand that whatever his motivations, his behavior is hurtful and completely unacceptable. Children usually bully easy targets, meaning that they wear glasses, have hearing aids or braces, are overweight, have trouble reading, aren't very athletic, wear the wrong clothes, just aren't cool, or stand out in some other way. Most important, remind your son of how bad he felt when he was being bullied and talk with him about how important it is to respect everyone, regardless of their differences. And have him write a note to the kids he bullied, apologizing for his behavior. Finally, it's very important that you stay on top of this situation. Keep in regular contact with the dean and your son's teachers, and check in with your son often. If his bad behavior continues, ask the school to recommend a good counselor. If you have a question for us here at Positive Parenting, send it over. We'd love to talk about it. You can do that through our website, mrdad.com. We'll be back next week with another segment for you. Until then, I'm Armin Brott. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.